All right. Come on in, everybody. Grab a seat. It's a little bit more of a chill morning. I'm not like trying to wrangle everybody back in here right now. This is great. Good. You guys are focused. Or maybe a little bit sleepy. I hope not. Welcome again. If you're watching online, welcome. Glad our live stream is working. That's a miracle. Praise the Lord. Um, We are four weeks deep into March mustache madness. I don't know if you guys can tell. Uh, As you can see, my mustache is thriving right now, uh, which means that my wife's attraction to me is probably at an all-time low, right? Uh, I'm unbiased. In my mind, I look like this. Wonderful, right? There, wait. Do we have, there he is. Come on. Yes. <clears throat> but uh, unfortunately, in my wife's mind, I look more like this. <laughs> and I, by that, I mean the animal on the right. <laughs> but what's worse, what's worse is that probably in most of your minds right now, I look like this. Wow. Oakley doakley. Um, needless to say, this is the last time you're going to see this mustache. Yeah. It's kind of a weird way to start a teaching. It's like a bad pickup line, like, couldn't help but notice you over there. Notice my mustache. Uh, let's hope this gets better. Here we go. <clears throat> March mustache madness. March madness. Final four. Anybody watching that? We, coincidentally, are coming up on the final four. Oh, yeah, Kansas sweater. Yeah, you're excited. Okay. Uh, We're coming up on the final four of our discipline series, New Way to Be Human. If we have that slide, yeah. So today is the last week of the outward disciplines. We're on simplicity. And then next week, we will get into confession and worship. And uh, in... In case you haven't been with us, we've been following along with Richard Foster's book. For him, there are 12 disciplines and 12 chapters. You know, for others, there's six or seven disciplines. Uh, Others still, it can be upwards of 20, 21 different disciplines. So we kind of took the middle route there. And uh, yeah, we're going to move into the outward discipline soon. Um, Before we get to that, let's see here. I feel like I'm reading the wrong notes here on my laptop. Yikes. Well, I will say this. All the, all the disciplines, like the practices, um, the, the way of Jesus that we do, um, these are all things that allow us to obey the teachings of Jesus, to actually live life like Jesus lived his own life, okay? It's very easy for us to receive the teachings of Jesus without actually observing his life and then putting that into action. So that is what the disciplines are. And then further note, and this is really important today, um, the disciplines aren't solely just for you, okay? They're not just for you. It's actually to make you a person who is more available to serve and love others, okay? So keep that in your mind because today there's going to be a lot of like life hacks and it's going to feel like it's very self-focused. But remember, the point is that you can be healthy, emotionally, spiritually healthy person to serve other people. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Let's pray. And before I actually, before we get there, 
Do you guys mind pausing for a second so I can find the actual notes I should be reading today? <laughs> there they are. Okay. There was like a panic mode. It was way too much improving for me. I'm OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was mostly right on what I was supposed to say. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that said, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, would you calm... Calm me, calm us into a quietness that heals, a quietness that listens. Would you mold our longings, our passions, our wounds, our wonderings into a more holy and human shape? As St. Augustine prayed, Lord, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God, we long to be filled, to live the life you offered us, life to the fullest. And so we humbly ask you to help us this morning, your spirit to guide us, help us make changes, show us where to start, show us where to allow your mercy to minister to us, to heal us, the places we mess up, things we forget, the places we stumble. We want to be able, as your children, to receive your mercy this morning. And we confess, God, right off the bat, we want rest. Oh, we long for rest in our souls. God, we confess we've looked for it in the wrong places. So now, speaking for myself, maybe for others, just exhausted from our own efforts, God, we turn to you. We fix our souls, the attention of our souls on you this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, Open your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 6, and you can keep a finger there or marker of some sort. We're going to get to that shortly as kind of our main passage for this morning. Matthew chapter 6. First, I want to tell a quick story about Carl Jung. Uh, Many of you guys know Carl Jung. He's a famous psychiatrist. He's the one who came up with the whole extroverted and introverted personality type, right? How much is that talked about nowadays? That was like the basis that led to like Myers-Briggs, like any ENFPs in here? Good, because I'm an ISTJ. Yeah, yeah. So really important historical figure, huge impact on humanity. Uh, But you might not know, he organized his life, his busy life, in a very particular way. I'm just going to, if it's okay, I'm just going to read to you from Mason Curry's book, Daily Rituals. Um, This is what it has to say about Carl Jung. 1922, Carl Jung bought a parcel of land near a small village of Bollingen, Switzerland, and began to construct construction on a simple two-story stone house along the shore of the upper basin of Lake Zurich. And over the next dozen years, he modified and expanded this Bollingen Tower, as he called it, adding a pair of like smaller auxiliary towers and like a walled-in courtyard with a large outdoor fire pit. Cool. Even with these additions, it remained a primitive dwelling. So there were no floorboards, no carpets. Uh, it was like a covered yet uneven stone floor. Uh, There was no electricity, no telephone, heat came from actually chopping wood, Uh, cooking was done on an oil stove, and like the only artificial light came from oil lamps. Water had to actually be brought up from the lake and boiled, right? Uh, Eventually a hand pump was installed. 
But Young wrote this, if a man of the 16th century were to move into the house, only the kerosene lamps and the matches would be new to him. Otherwise, he would know his way about without difficulty. Here's a visual for you of Carl Young in that very place. Now, throughout the 1930s, you can leave that picture up for a second, Young used Bollingen Tower as a retreat from the city life, where he led a workaholic's existence, seeing patients for eight to nine hours a day and delivering frequent lectures and seminars. Young was not shy about taking time off. He said, I've realized that somebody who's tired, next slide, and needs rest and goes on working all all the same is a fool. Yeah? Yeah. I'm just letting you soak that in, okay? Here's an idea of his cabin schedule, really quick. Young rose at 7 a.m., said good morning to his saucepans, pots, and frying pans, and spent a long time preparing breakfast, which usually consisted of coffee, salami, fruits, bread, and butter. Uh, He generally set aside two hours in the morning for concentrated writing. He wrote a lot of books. Uh, The rest of his day would be spent painting and on meditation or in his private study. He would go for long walks in the hills, receiving visitors, visitors and replying to like the never-ending stream of letters that arrived each day. But at 2, 3 p.m., he made tea. In the evening, he enjoyed preparing a large meal, right? He had to cook for himself, often preceded by an aperitif, which he called a sundowner. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> uh, bedtime was at 10 p.m., very strict. Young is quoted as saying, at Bollingen, I am in the midst of my true self. I am most deeply myself. I have done without electricity and tend the fireplace and stove myself. Evenings, I light the old lamps. There's no running water. I pump the water from a well. I chop the wood and cook the food. Now pay close attention to this last line. These simple acts make man simple. And how difficult it is to be simple. These simple acts make man simple, and how difficult it is to be simple. Wow, okay, something there resonates with me. Am I the only one? No? Yes, okay. Yeah, if you're like me, you're already planning on going on Redfin tonight and like looking out cabins in eastern Oregon, right? (laughs) Hunting cabins, right? Yeah. Maybe you're someone else, and you you like already live this life because you're in Culver or Antelope or something like that, you know? Good for you. Yeah, or Alaska, very true, yeah. Or maybe you're in that like camp right now that's just selling everything and buying a sprinter van and going across the nation, right? Packing up the whole family. You know, simplicity is something, something we all desire and long for in the depths of our soul. It sounds good. It's peaceful. It's life-giving. It sounds like eternity in this life, not just the next. I want that. Right? We want that very thing. We'll do whatever it takes to find simplicity. Why is a simple life so appealing? And why does it feel so hard to grasp nowadays? You guys feel that? Why is it so hard to obtain this simple life nowadays? For many of you, like you know the problem. The problem is it's me, it's you, it's us. We get in the way of our own ability to practice simplicity. Ecclesiastes says it best. It says, God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. It's the Bible, thousands of years ago, right? It's been figured out. 
So how do we make our problems complex today? I'm just going to cruise through a few things here. One, we consume. Not just food or things, but we can consume time, energy, and even people. We are almost a century deep into what is called consumerism. Uh, Millennials have more than doubled the consumption of our parents, the baby boomers. Yikes. We have been raised in a culture programmed by advertisers like marketing schemes to want the next best newest thing, right? And consequently, the old thing that you had is obsolete, right? Oh, you have the iPhone 12? (laughs) You poor thing. I'm on the iPhone 13S or whatever. It's next, right? We ruthlessly, ruthlessly chase down the new model and we do whatever it takes to buy our happiness. Yes, we consume. The modern proverb goes, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't yes (laughs) will rogers 1879 is the one that first said that on top of that then we go and we hoard things right we have all this stuff and then we hoard we buy storage units to fill it with junk stuff that we may never go back and use and that's not our only problem though this whole buying and consumption thing we're also workaholics aren't we The entrepreneurs, the influencers, the ambitious workers that climb the corporate ladder to achieve more, more power, more success, more money, staff, inventory, more overhead. Ah. And it's funny that the result that this gives us is less time to actually vacation, right? We're working hard so we can go use that vacation rental, and yet we're too busy working to go use it. As the saying goes, work hard, play hard. And so, next, not only are we workaholics, but then we get way too overcommitted in wanting to play hard. We rush from one commitment to the next, from the boat on the lake to the kids' soccer practice to the school recital, you know, pound a couple more uh, five-hour energy drinks, and then you're off, you know, to the next thing, or back home to the garden, to the chickens, feeding or walking the dog, or dogs, or worse, your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cats, cat lady, Okay. Yes, this happens. And then, of course, at the end, there's me time, right? There's me time, right? After all of that, you finally get the kids asleep, you know, maybe a shot of whiskey and a little social media or Netflix, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. to 11 to 2 a.m. Oops. And then guess what? You're back up at 6 a.m. Because at New Year's, you made a resolution that you're going to work out every morning at 6 a.m., right? We overcommit, we underdeliver. We're drowning in our own schedules. Corey Tenboom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy, right? <laughs> but not busy like I have a full schedule, because if that was the case, then even Jesus would have been busy, but rather that we're too busy to keep up with ourselves. You guys feel that? Yeah, we're drowning in our own schedule. We're going so fast a pace that we can't even catch up to our own bodies. Our soul can't catch up to our own bodies. You ever feel that way? You just a work day and you're just like, I just need to stop and allow myself to catch up with me. <laughs> wow. On top of all that, right? Consumerism, workaholism, overcommitments. That's right. There's one more thing, one more problem. Then we distract ourselves. We're distracted, habitually too preoccupied with things that exhaust our souls. It's called pathological busyness. As Ronald Rollheiser said, today, we're more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, 
more interested in the movie theater or Netflix, the sports stadium or your fantasy football league, in the shopping mall or Amazon app, right? And the fantasy that they produce in us than we are in church. Or we might say in God. The average iPhone user, for example, touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Yeah. Not me. You guys, you know? You guys got a problem. By way of contrast, the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me. I've set the Lord always before me, not this thing, which is on a timer right now, by the way. It's good for everybody. So don't you agree? It's time, Foster says, we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. An old friend of mine wrote this, an old bandmate, no wonder we live in a world overcome by addiction, not just substance abuse, but the more run-of-the-mill addictions to porn or sex, eating, dieting, exercising, work or travel or shopping or social media, even church. Yes, that's right. Church can be an addiction. A dopamine hit that you run to to escape maybe a father wound or an emotional pain or maybe an unhappy marriage. Church can also be an addiction. The answer is we are looking for an escape. We're looking for an escape and an escape from the crushing weight of this life. But catch this. There is no escape. Reality is, there is no escaping it. And that's why Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. He offers us something far better. Tools, disciplines, practices, simplicity, a way of life. Or as we've been calling it, a new way to be human. So Jesus' way of life is not a lost dream. We must recapture the recurrent vision of God and humanity. Simplicity. Are you guys ready? I know, that was my intro. We're 17 minutes in. Here we go. The invitation of Jesus is this, and I've read this to you before in prior weeks. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus' teaching, his way of life, is easy, and my burden is light. Yeah. Jesus actually teaches us to live freely and lightly. As an example, Jesus made sure to inject healthy doses of margin into his own schedule. There's space between load and limits. And when you read about Jesus' life, he had a high degree of focus and intentionality. For example, uh, you don't read about Jesus, like his side hobbies, nothing wrong with hobbies, right? But Jesus isn't like, oh, you know, I'm also really into mountain biking, or I do pickleball in the park, you know? I'm a little bit of a, like a side surfboard shaper, you know, experimental rock band with my high school buddies. Like, no, you don't read that from Jesus. Uh, you don't read about him running like a side hustle business, you know, a little thing on the side that he does in his garage, or a little blog that he runs, or, or podcast about, say, something like, how life can be authentic, you know? Jesus also isn't going through his closet in the mornings wondering what to wear, right? We don't get that from Jesus in the scriptures. And, and perhaps that's an argument from silence, sure. But the image we have of Jesus from the Gospels is a soul living deliberately, intentional on mission, not rushed. He's present to the moment and very aware of the purpose he has in life. <clears throat> This is simplicity. For many of us, there is no space between our load and limits. 
We have tons of side hustles, hobbies, and we have a desperate need to declutter our lives. We're maxed out. So I must ask you a question. How do we live like Jesus? One thing, it all starts by actually considering Jesus to be your teacher, the authority on how to live, okay? Brett talked about that last week, so I won't belabor this point. But we can model our lives after Jesus, not just listen to his teachings and go, oh, that's so wisdomful. You know, well, of course he's a son of God. Of course he has this wisdom. But to actually trust him on how he lived his life. And then two, it means actually believing and obeying what he says about those things. Okay? He talks about that often. We're going to get to Matthew here in a second. Here's just a little rundown of what he says on the subject. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Beware of covetousness. Man's life does not consist of abundance of his possessions. He warned us about the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things that come and choke the word, make it unfruitful. He told the people, like the rich farmer whose life centered in hoarding, catch this, we would call him prudent, right? Jesus would call him a fool. Jesus tells us if we really want to experience the kingdom of God to be willing to sell everything. He calls all who would follow him to a joyful joyful life that is carefree, unconcerned for possessions, to give to everyone who begs from you, and of him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. By example, Jesus was neither poor nor rich. Don't hear me wrong here. He was also never rushed, though. We have a number of stories where he seemed unhurried even by the news of impending sickness and death. Huh. Now, if these sayings of Jesus sound a little bit crazy to you, you're not alone, okay? Like, for many years, I read this stuff, and I was like, oh, we're going to skip that this morning, you know? On to something else. But we need to take Jesus seriously as a teacher, not just a savior. So go ahead and look down at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. We sang this a second ago. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, great bluegrass song, by the way, Oh, here today and gone tomorrow. That's how life this world is. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, on your own time. <laughs> Thrown into the fire, will, not, uh, will he not, God, much more clothe you, you of little faith? Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, really important, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, a few things stand out. Uh, Some of this will kind of make you squirm. First thing, worry or anxiety. The inward stuff of your soul are the enemy of simplicity. Can we agree on that? Yeah. Therefore, freedom from anxiety is one of the inward evidences of simplicity. Question. So how do you know you've arrived at simplicity? You would have less anxiety or worry. Good. You're paying attention. Second thing I notice: your basic needs for peace and rest and godliness and contentment are just, well, Jesus gives you two things, food and clothing. But I'm going to give us all a break since we live in the Northwest. How about shelter? Okay. <laughs> That's all you need. Food, clothing, shelter are all you need to live in peace and rest. Yikes, really, Jesus? Because, I mean, if we're honest here, like very few of us in this room feel that way, right? We're rushing. We need more. Yet if we have all three, or yet we have all three, and we feel like it's not enough. Why? And the last thing I notice here is the answer to the inward problem of anxiety and worry is not more stuff or more to do. It's seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom. You might be saying, but how do I apply? Should I take this job or that job? No. Seek first the kingdom. But should I give my money away to feed the poor? No. Seek first the kingdom. But should I become a preacher and evangelize to everyone and their pets? No. Seek first the kingdom. And you might be asking yourself, what is the kingdom? This is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the life you've always wanted is fully available to you right where you are through Jesus. And through him, you have access to the Father's loving presence. Nothing, not your income level or your stage of life or your health or relational status, nothing is standing in between you and the life that is truly life, the life that Jesus offers. As such, the kingdom of God frees us from concern and involvement with a multitude of desires that would make it impossible for us to, say, do justice or walk humbly with God or love mercy, right? Quote from Harold Kushner, our souls are not hungry for fame, comfort, wealth, or power. Our souls are hungry for meaning, for the sense that we have figured out how to live so that our lives matter. And this brings us now to some practicalities. What is simplicity and how do we get there? Just a few definitions for you guys. Simplicity, it's a lifestyle where people intentionally seek to live with only the things they need. Joshua Becker, it is the intentional promotion of the things we must value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. That comes from the minimalists. They have a great thing you can watch on Netflix. It's more about what we say yes to than it is the things that we say no to, right? The things we say yes to, the things that we create as values, values like rest. Last definition, simplicity involves unburdening your life and living more lightly with fewer distractions that interfere with a high quality of life as defined uniquely by each individual. Linda Pierce, I like it. Yeah, simplicity more recently has been called minimalism. You guys heard that phrase, minimalism? 
Uh, yeah, and that's, that's what a number of bloggers and writers have been calling it, like the secularized version of what Jesus was practicing and talking about 2,000 years ago. Uh, but most important aspect of simplicity is as, is as follows. The discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Look at that. Discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. It means to live out what Thomas Kelly calls to live out of the divine center, purity of heart, to will the one thing. Simplicity starts with an inward reality. Otherwise, for us, simplicity in practice would just become like a weird form of legalism. Nobody wants that. Let me show you a familiar slide. We've shown this before a number of times. It's from Dallas Willard. And basically, what this picture is, is your entire soul, okay? And it starts with your soul in social environment. Yes, part of your soul is actually your relationship to others. And then it narrows down with your body, your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your spirit, your heart, and your will. Um, and I have to say this, just a quick story. Um, one, of our, one of our members in our church came to pre-gathering prayer a few weeks ago. And we, as we do always in pre-gathering prayer, just have a moment of like listening prayer, just being still and quietness and seeing if the Holy Spirit wants to say anything to us. And in that moment, like right off the bat, he told me, it was like he heard the voice of God say his name and then say, I love you. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that response. Oh, <laughs> Yes. Aw. Yeah. Uh, what he told me was that that then carried him through the day, and then not just the day, but the whole week. To me, that's like a microcosm story of what happens in simplicity when it comes from the inward. When the Holy Spirit works through all of this stuff to speak directly to our innermost being, to our spirit, then that place, that inward place, then goes out and starts working itself out in our minds, in our thought life, in our bodies, in our social constructs, the people we relate with day in and day out. And now, because of that identity thing, because we know we're loved, now we're walking freely. There's no more weight. There's no more burden. We're able to actually see people, to look into their eyes, to be present with them. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I thought so. This person... uh, Oh, let me skip down here. Yeah, when we declutter all the noise, the distractions, the busyness, when we make space to quiet ourselves and listen to God, that's when God speaks something to the depths that then travels outwards. So the root is simplicity, when it's rooted in our hearts. It's how we declutter our soul and order them around the Holy Spirit to center us in God. Jesus becomes the center that we live out of. Simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. In other words, simplicity is like having a garage sale for your soul. Right? You like that? It's decluttering your life. Like your soul is your thought life. It's your desires and it's your resources. It's it's your time. It's your money. It's your energy. It's also your attention. Right? It's like having a, a garage sale for all of those things. One last angle that we can look at simplicity. This is Apostle Paul's definition. Philippians chapter 4, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
Interesting, right? We've all heard that verse before. Notice that it's not about fighting Goliath, your Goliath in your life, right? Or going against armies. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with simplicity. Simplicity is freedom. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. One more quote. The intention of voluntary simplicity is not to dogmatically live with less. It's a more demanding intention of living with balance. This is the middle way that moves between the extremes of poverty and indulgence. I like that. So a few call to actions. We're going to land the plane here. Because I'm sure a lot of you right now are just like, man, can you just tell me what to do so we can get out of here? (laughs) I get it. Um, Unfortunately, uh, (laughs) a lot of teachings kind of end right here where they just, it's just kind of like, don't be anxious. And you're convinced. Like, yeah, I need to not be anxious. And then the conclusion is, just trust God. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's good. Those are good words, right? And so you go into your next day and you're like, I just need to trust God. I just need to trust God. Uh, but then the worries of this life come up, and it doesn't work, right? I mean, a lot of that won't even work into this afternoon. And so we're going to do the Dallas Willard thing. It's not just don't be anxious, but make changes, and then trust God. I think of like somebody who's like, yeah, you know what? I work too much. I'm working seven days a week. I need to insert Sabbath as a way of simplicity into my life, a day of rest. So if they just go from anxiety to trusting God, that's never going to happen. But if they make a plan, a change, like I'm going to go to my employer tomorrow and say, hey, I can't be working seven days a week. You know, I'm going to do six days a week from now on. One, most likely they're going to be like, oh, why didn't you ask a long time ago? You know, but say they say no. Well, now you have an opportunity to trust God, don't you? Now you have an opportunity to say, God, what do I do? Do I stay at this job? Do I pray for my employer? Right? That's when the trusting God comes into place. The Bible calls this change. It calls it repentance. It's deliberate. It's intentional. So I'm going to give you, we're just going to end here with like a list of what uh, Foster and John Mark Comer um, have kind of... uh, say would like be a starting point to simplicity. And I'm going to give it to you really quick because I'm kind of running out of time. You can go look at this later. But here's some starting places for simplicity in your life. One, what is the true commitment of something you are buying or adding to your life? The true commitment. Not just what it costs money-wise, but like how much time, energy, and stress, you know? If I'm joining like another soccer team, that's time away from my family. That's time that right now I'm super sore because I played two hours yesterday, all right? I can barely stand. There's other costs to our commitments. Second thing, before you buy, ask yourself, by buying this item, am I oppressing the poor or harming, harming the earth? Now, we haven't talked about this much, but there is a thing called social sin that we participate in. When we buy like maybe stuff that is fast fashion, it's being made unethically overseas, meaning those employers are being, are, are, we're caught, are, are taking in an injustice. They're not being paid the full price. They're taking advantage of. And by us buying that product, we actually are participating in that sin. I know your mind is like, what? Moving on. We'll, get, we'll talk about that another time. Three, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status and never impulse buy, right? For me right now, this is like, do I really need a truck to fit in in Redmond? (laughs) How much more SUV shame can I take, you know? (laughs) I don't need a truck. Everybody I know has a truck. (laughs) 
I can just use theirs. <laughs> Four, when you do buy, opt for fewer, better things. And I love that. It kind of, you know, instead of just going to Ikea for something, you know, go to Zach, have him make you some beautiful custom furniture or something. Buy fewer, better things that you can really, like, take pleasure in, right? And not just plan on donating sometime in the future. Uh, get into the habit of sharing and giving things away. So good. You, can, you guys get that one. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. That's good. That's tough. I'm addicted to Amazon. So I see something I'm like, I'm like, yes, I want the lime squeezer and the lemon squeezer. I want both of them. You know? I'm sick of squeezing lemons and the lime squeezer. Anybody else? <laughs> Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Okay, simplicity is, simplicity is the only thing that sufficiently reorients our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Freedom to trust God, is what Richard Foster would say. Last few things kind of goes from possessions or buying things to another whole list of things. Seven, cultivate a deep appreciation for creation and for the simple pleasures. You know, go on hikes. They're free, okay? <laughs> go on hikes. Recognize advertising for what it is, propaganda. Call out the lie. Lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism, right? Foster would say it this way. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, I have a friend who, whenever they see commercials, they call out the lie in the commercial, right? If it's AT&T right now, it's saying, more is better. And we go, no, more is just more, okay? I don't need more right now. Call out the lie. Nine, obey Jesus' instruction about plain, honest speech. Let your yes be yes or your no be no. And this would kind of get into what I would call part two of this teaching, like how to arrange your life that way. So we won't go there right now. Lastly, part 10, or advice number 10, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I got way too into soccer at one point. I was on like four different teams. I was on my phone following all the different leagues that are around the world. I don't know if you guys know about soccer. There's a lot of lot of leagues, okay? There's like six leagues just in England, just to get going, and then there's competitions within those leagues, like separate playoffs that happen, and then on top of that, there's the all-European competition, which also has tiers of competitions, and at this point, we're just talking about club soccer, not national soccer like the World Cup. Yeah, there's a lot there. I get excited. I got addicted, okay? (laughs) I was exhausted, spending way too much time on that kind of stuff. So reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. I love this. My wife sent this to me earlier this week. The author of Atomic Habits writes, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Be the designer of your world and not merely a consumer of it. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm going to cut my ending short. The reality is this this teaching of simplicity is where Foster goes in his book. It's where he ends. Um, of all the disciplines in that book, of Celebration of Discipline, this is the one that got the most response from his audience. This is like early 1980s. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is going against everything culture is telling us to do. So much so that Foster went on to write a book called Freedom of Simplicity. Twelve more chapters. Are you guys ready? No. <laughs> At some point in the two, before 2023, hopefully we're going to teach on some of that this summer. 
You know, a second teaching of this, what I call the three secrets of simplicity. Practicing Sabbath. I know Brett wants to teach that soon. Uh, how to manage our money. Another aspect of simplicity. And then finally, what I'm going to call you are what you love and practicing the Shema, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So hopefully we'll get into those teachings in the future. Now go ahead and close your Bible and your Bible notes. Um, Man, just to say this again to reiterate, we're all beginners with the disciplines. Nobody has arrived at simplicity, not even if you're Brett and you moved to Prineville and you're considering being Amish, you know? <laughs> you haven't arrived yet, although you would probably dress slightly better with their kind of garb that they have going. I love you. <clears throat> you know, our staff was kind of like going through all this stuff like, man, what, do I like this or not? You know, for Kaylin, she, was, she said something like, I have sweaters that I don't miss anymore. Like, she got rid of them. I don't miss them anymore. And for Carson, he said, simplicity is more than money and less or more. Sorry, it's more than money having less or more. Simplicity drives me to contentment. The path causes me to be more grateful for what I do have. I like that. So, I would share kind of where I'm at. It has a lot to do with uh, my iPhone. And just minimizing distractions, because I think this is one of the biggest distractions our culture is facing right now. The thing is, as I say no to this more often, as I deleted Instagram account this last week, I know, hooray for me, pat on the back. What I find is it's not like a killjoy, it's not a legalism, but in fact, I get now to say yes to my family. I get to say yes to spending time with my son. I get to read that book I always wanted to finish. I get to go on long walks with my wife to hike that trail or ride our bikes that are in the garage that we never ride, you know? I get to serve my next-door neighbor. I do have more time to prepare, like, a home-cooked meal and stay healthy physically and emotionally. And not the least of these, I do get to spend more time with Jesus and learn from him the way of his life. So if you will... In that spirit, as I kind of transition over to guitar for our response, um, I'm just going to give you guys a moment. I'm probably going to play a little pad here so it's not the awkward silence. That's cool with you. Um, Here we go. And uh, I'm just going to allow you time just to write down where you think you can practice simplicity. So if you want, you can take your iPhone out or a notepad out and just say, hey, here's something that I'm thinking I can say no to or cut out in my life. And here's something that I know I want to say yes to. So I'm going to give you like a minute right now to do that. Um, Keep it kind of chill and silent here. Don't get up. Don't wander around at this point. Let's make this kind of a holy time in a sense that we're committing ourselves to simplicity, to obeying the Lord. Yeah, so just think of one thing this week that you can practice simplicity, that you can cut out of your life or something that you can add to it that aligns with your values. Go ahead and do that. Father, we give you this time right now. Holy Spirit, help us raise that thing, that one thing in our mind right now.